0: Right. uh Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, citizens. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of serving uh, as one of the pastors uh, here at the church. Again, want to reiterate, if you're new or visiting for the first time, we know this season has brought uh, a, lot of, a lot of newcomers to our church. We would love to uh, get to know you, uh, answer any questions that you have about the church, and help you get plugged in uh, to our community if that's something you're looking for. We know LA can be kind of a scary place, especially uh, for people who uh, are transplants, Uh, to the city, and so, um, you know, hopefully you can find a home uh, here at Citizens, and we'd love to help to be a part of that. Uh, Well, as always, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word. Uh, If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, uh, this is a text, uh, if you're new, that we've been using as our anchor text throughout the entire sermon series that we're in. Uh, if you're following along on your phone, and you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version of that text, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. This is the reading of God's Word. Ooh, one, one more thing I've I got to add. Once we get to verses 22 to 25, something we've been doing each week is we've been actually reading that together because that's something we're kind of committing to do as a church, to commit those verses to memory uh, throughout this series. So I'll signal us when that part comes on and we'll read that in one voice. Galatians chapter five, verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And let's read this together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we are currently in a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit as part of our year-long commitment as a church uh, to discover what it means to cultivate a Spirit-filled life, a life in which we move beyond just acquiring knowledge about God or doing things for God to a life of being with God and allowing God to permeate every aspect of our being and the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 tells us that you will know whether or not you are living a life in the spirit by the fruit your life produces and he gives us nine specific attributes or qualities that point to the character of God himself living in and through us and we're going through this list one at a time and today we come to the fruit of the spirit that is goodness. Now again, uh, keep in mind, it's very hard to separate the nine attributes from each other because uh, they're all dimensions of the same fruit working in the heart of every believer. Um, So there's there's always going to be some overlap, uh, but we're taking each attribute one at a time because I think each one gives us a unique window into who God is and how he works in us and in the world. Now, goodness is particularly challenging because the word good is so subjective. Everyone has a different definition uh, for what goodness is. Like if today I I were to show you a video of a baby laughing his or her head off and I titled that video Joy, um, I think nobody would object to that. If I showed you a photo of someone sitting uh, in nature watching a beautiful sunrise and I captioned that photo peace, I think it would make sense. But what makes something good? Because what's good to you may not be good to me, right? Uh, What I consider good music, my wife considers death, okay? Uh, I would pay hundreds of dollars to go see Radiohead in concert. You could not pay my wife to go see a Radiohead show, right? How can something that takes one person to their happy place make another person cover their ears and say, make it stop, right? One of the most shocking revelations I've had in recent years is that not everyone thinks Olive Garden is good, okay? Um, and, and that was really sad for me, because I started sharing that with people, and they would always think I was joking. And then I would say, you know, I'm being serious, and I know, I could see it in their face that they were judging me a little bit. They lost a little respect for me. How could something so good to me be so bad to How can you not think the free unlimited breadsticks and salad are good? I don't understand it. And yet we all have such differing definitions of what we would call good. Throughout history, we've seen some horrible atrocities committed in the name of doing something good. As hard as it is to fathom, there was a time when some people actually thought that enslaving another human being was a good thing. Believe it or not, there was a time when some people thought the world would be better off without a certain race or ethnic group. There are still people who believe this. Maybe the saddest part about it is that some of the worst atrocities in history have been committed by those who claim to follow Jesus. You know, when you think about our political landscape today, why do you think we're so divided? It's because you have two sides who cannot agree on what they believe is good for our country. And so how can we even start to embody God's goodness in a world where we can't even agree on what's good? We need a standard for goodness. Well, where do we find that standard? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, there's a story of a man who comes up to Jesus, and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In Psalm 16, David says, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Put another way, the Bible says there is only one standard for goodness. It's God. You cannot have good or be good or do good without God. He is the source of everything that is good. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift from God our Father. Everything God creates, everything God touches, everything God accomplishes is good. In one sense, you could say that goodness is the summation of all of God's attributes. There's a section in Exodus 33:18 18, where Moses turns to God and he says, show me your glory. He's saying, show me the fullness of who you are in your essence. And you know what God responds with? He says, I will make my goodness pass before you. He says, you want to see my glory? You want to see the fullness of who I am? Let me show you my goodness everything about me is good, and everything I do is good. The Hebrew word for good uh, in the Old Testament is the word tov, and on the first page of the Bible, we see that word tov show up over and over and over again. It's like a theme. Every time God creates something, we read that he saw that it was tov. He saw that it was good, right? Every time uh, he, he, he speaks Creation into existence, he looks upon what he has created and he saw that it was good. The light was tov. The land and sea were tov. The plants were tov. Day and night were tov. Sea animals and birds were tov. And on the sixth day after God created humankind in his own image, we read that he looked upon everything that he had made and he saw that it was very tov. He saw that it was very good everything in creation was working the way it was supposed to everything was in its right place and moving according to god's design and plan and purpose everything was good creation was god's goodness on full display but something terrible happens just two chapters later a serpent appears in the garden and asks an interesting question the serpent asks did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden to which the woman replies we may eat fruit from trees in the garden But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden And you must not touch it or you will die To which the serpent then responds you will not certainly die For God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil notice what the serpent is doing he's not casting doubt on god's existence he's casting doubt on god's goodness the serpent is saying are you sure you trust god to tell you what is good are you sure because if you eat the fruit i don't think you'll need god anymore you can define what is good for yourself and this is exactly what happens we read that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye she took some and ate it when the woman saw that the fruit was good when human beings saw that it was good and it was pleasing to their eye they took some and they ate it it didn't matter what god said was good human beings determined what was good and in that moment goodness was severed from its source sending all of creation into a state of chaos Disorder and uncertainty. What once was working exactly the way it should was now completely broken. Our relationship with the earth, broken. Our relationship with others, broken. Our relationship with God, broken. And if you want to know why the world is the way it is today, it really comes down to one thing. This is what happens when humans decide they want to define good for themselves when they believe they can be good and do good without God. This is the idea behind secular humanism, right? This is an ideology, the belief that human beings are capable of being ethical and moral without God, that we can create the good, beautiful world that we long for on our own. We want the kingdom without the king. But how's that working out for us, for all of our knowledge, for all of our wealth and technological progress, for all the self-help books out there that tell you 10 ways to better your life and make the world a better place. How is that working out for us? All I see around me is brokenness. I see a broken justice system. I see a broken nation. I see broken families. I see broken people. We are so broken. Every part of our lives is riddled with brokenness. And we've all felt it. We've all felt that deep ache in our gut that tells us this is not the way things are supposed to be. An elderly man taking a walk in a park should not be attacked for no reason. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Children sleeping in a daycare should not be murdered in cold blood. This is not the way it was supposed to be. People should not be living on the street without food and shelter. This is not the way it was supposed to be when George Floyd happened and the entire world watched in horror as a man had his life taken away from him, there was this collective groaning in all of us that said, this is not good. But because we had cut off goodness from its source, rather than look to God, we immediately looked to human solutions, right? We immediately put our hope in the government to fix our problems. We immediately said, we know how to bring good back, not realizing that our government was broken too. We look to people, we look to programs, we look to different opportunities, we look to different organizations, only realizing that they were all broken too. And I'm not saying these things are bad. Christians should absolutely be engaged in politics. We should absolutely use every resource at our disposal to advocate for justice. But when our view of justice is disconnected from its source, when it's disconnected from God, when we decide, we understand, and we know how to seek it on our own apart from God, we simply create more brokenness, more division, more strife. If you look at Paul's list of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. They're all self-fulfilling prophecies. Every one of these things on this list is the result of human beings choosing to be their own arbiters of what is good. And when every single person has a different standard for goodness, this is what results. And so we get caught in this vicious cycle of brokenness and we don't know what to do with it there's a powerful line um, in in the great african-american poet langston hughes's poem tired and i'm going to put it on the screen and he says i'm so tired of waiting aren't you for the world to become good and beautiful and kind let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. It's a line that speaks so deeply to humanity's longing for goodness. This longing to see a world without imperfection and brokenness, a world where all the bad guys are punished, a world rid of all death and pain and disease. But it's not just a longing to see goodness out there. It's a longing to see goodness in here. You know, last week was one of those weeks, was super busy, super stressed out, and my daughter spilled a glass of water at dinner, and I don't know what happened. I just snapped and I said, what is wrong with you? And it was like this out of body experience for a moment because I almost felt like I almost heard the same voice say that back to me, what's wrong with you? She's seven and it's a glass of water. What's wrong with you? We think the thing that is broken is out there, when in reality, the thing that is broken is in here. And whether we want to admit it or not, whether we realize it or not, all of us have an aching desire to be called good. To be made very good again. We all have a deep longing to be validated and valued, a longing for meaning and purpose, and it's a good longing because this is the way we were created. When my kids play something on the piano and they say, Daddy, was that good? Am I good? In my mind, I'm like, not really. You know, I mean, it's a little rough if I'm honest, right? But they ask me, am I good? And I realize that this is the same question we're asking. This is the same question I'm asking as a 39-year-old every time I come up to preach. Am I good? Was that good? our entire lives we want someone to call us very good we're always asking am i good because nothing we do or achieve or accomplish ever feels good enough does it we're never good enough sons or daughters we're never good enough parents We're never good enough spouses. We're never good enough friends. We're never good enough at work. We're not good enough to make it in this industry. And all of life becomes a mission to be called very good again. And we look for that validation in people. We look for it in our careers, in our popularity, in our looks. We craft what we deem to be a good life, hoping that at the end of it all, on our deathbed, somebody will say, you're very good. Good job. And again, this isn't a bad longing, it's a human longing. We long to be good because this is how we were created. God God looked upon everything that he had made and called it good. But what's so sad is that in our effort to be good, you and I run from the very source of goodness. We run to lesser alternatives and we run from the very thing that is the source of our goodness. But this is why we say the gospel is good news. Because though we run from God, God never stops running after us. We just sang about it. Your goodness is running after me. Even when we've given up on ourselves, God never gives up on us because he's good and he desires to make us all very good. And so what does he do? He steps into the brokenness we created to be broken on a cross so that you and I could be made good again. If sin was the result of humanity substituting themselves for God, salvation was God substituting himself for humanity. It was God saying, you can't be good on your own, so let me be good for you. When we receive Jesus Christ in faith, all of Jesus' goodness all of the righteous things that he did his perfect life is credited to us so we no longer need something external to feel good about ourselves we already have all the love and acceptance and validation we need in him and when we get this we start to understand why the apostle paul in romans 8 is able to say something like in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You know, Christians always struggle with this verse because we look at our lives and we say, how does this show me that God is working for my good? How is what I'm going through and how is this life I'm living producing any good? Last time I checked, I'm still unemployed. Last time I checked, I'm still single. My marriage is falling apart. Last time I checked, I'm still exactly where I was five years ago. How is God working for my good? But you see, part of why we struggle with this verse is because we still think there are these external things. There are these external qualifications. There's this status that we need to make ourselves good. In Psalm 73, King David Uh, I love I love the Psalms and I love how honest they are and in Psalm 73 David opens a Psalm just with a list of complaints to God and He's like what the heck God look at the arrogant and the wicked people out there. Their bodies are so strong and healthy They're not suffering and I know we've all thought this before It's like look God. I've been in church my entire life. I serve I lead a community group like I give up my Sunday mornings And everyone I know who's not a believer, their life looks so much better than mine. It's like, what is the point of all of this if you're working more for their good than you are for mine? And he gives this list of complaint after complaint after complaint, but then this is how Psalm 73 ends. At the end he says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And then my favorite line of all, this is how he ends. But as for me, it is good to be near God. David changes his definition of goodness. He used to have a specific vision of the good life. But he realizes at the end, you know what? You know what's really good? It's good to be near God. Because he understands that when we're near God, we don't need to do something or be someone there's nothing we have to prove or possess to make ourselves feel good because we have 24 7 access to the source of goodness and only when we begin to live into the goodness of god can we then be instruments of god's goodness Everywhere we go. You see the gospel isn't just the good news that God reconciles us to himself The gospel is the good news that he is redeeming all of creation. He's rebuilding Renewing and restoring everything that has been broken It's God refusing to let evil have the final word over our lives and in our world And sometimes this can be very hard to believe when you turn on the news The world just seems so bleak and so dark. But you see, this is why the church exists. To be a city on a hill. It's our vision. To be a light amidst a dark world to offer glimpses of hope in a world that seems so hopeless to offer glimpses of genuine community in a world that feels so disconnected to offer glimpses of god's radical acceptance and compassion in a world full of hostility and violence In matthew 5 jesus says let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory To Your father who is in heaven ephesians 2 10 says for we are god's masterpiece He has created us anew in christ jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago God made us good not just so that we can sit there and feel good about ourselves God made us good so that we could do good God made us anew so that we could join him in his redemption project of making all things new And every person in this room can embody God's goodness in different ways, which is the most beautiful thing about it. Some of us are called to embody God's goodness through our activism. When we call out injustice, when we fight for all of humanity to be treated with dignity, value, and respect, when we look at a person who's treated as less than, whose, whose humanity is not being upheld, and we say, that is not good, let me enter into this situation and bring justice to this situation, we are embodying God's goodness. When we make room at the table for people who have been excluded and marginalized, we embody God's goodness. Some of us in here are called to embody God's goodness through our creativity. The first time I visited the Grand Canyon, even as a child, I stood there and I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by its beauty. Have you ever just gone in nature and just sat there and you were overwhelmed by the creativity of our Creator? How He puts every single detail into place, how He puts everything in its right place, how He brings what is chaotic and disordered into order. And so when that creativity lives in us, That means that when you and I create beautiful music and art, when we use our imaginations to problem-solve in our workplaces, we're embodying the goodness of God. Some of us are called to embody God's goodness by being peacemakers. Through our reconciliation in a time when everything seems to be pulling people away from one another when everything seems to be pulling people toward division and hostility, we can embody God's goodness by being agents of peace and reconciliation in the spaces we inhabit. When we choose not to join in on the gossip, when we bring two friends that are warring with each other together, when we try to seek common ground between, another, between you and another person who feels so different, when we forgive someone who has wronged us, we are embodying God's goodness. Our world is so wounded right now. What would it look like for followers of Jesus to enter into the brokenness of our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our relationships, and bind up the wounds of those who are hurting to show the world that evil has not won? What would that look like for us? You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, actor John Krasinski created this web series on YouTube called Some Good News. I'm sure you remember this. And the premise of the show was that in a time full of bad news, they were going to create a new show specifically dedicated to feel-good content. That was it. Well, Well, the show understandably garnered national attention. Everyone loved it. It went viral. Everyone was sharing it. And it was awesome because we were watching a quickly surging COVID-19 death toll. We were seeing images of people fighting over toilet paper at Costco. We were witnessing rising unemployment rates all while being isolated in our homes. And it was like finally for just 20 minutes a day we get some good news. I loved it too. It was awesome. And i'd say it did its job because every show you had like these uplifting stories where john krasinski would find his celebrity friends he would send them in and and he would enlist people to cheer people up he would give them like fenway park tickets he would he would he would gift them all these things and and it was awesome but it was over after eight episodes and then the pandemic just kept going and the news got worse and worse and the show was gone And there was an op-ed in the New York Times published in June of that same year, and it was titled, The Hollow Inspiration of Some Good News. And the author wrote this about the show that had since stopped airing, and let me put it up on the screen. She said this, the show started out offering a charming break from bleakness, a sign of a nation improvising new ways to help one another through a crisis. It ended as a reminder of how little had really changed. Soon there would be fire in the streets. It's nearly impossible to imagine how some good news would function right now. Cities have erupted in protest against police brutality. Curfews have been instituted. The National Guard has been deployed. Iconic image replaces iconic image. Journalists shot with rubber bullets and arrested on live television. Peaceful protesters doused with chemicals. Looters busting into stores along Fifth Avenue. What would it look like now? for Krasinski to show us Brad Pitt cameos and cooped up families playing household sports. It was a well-intended distraction, but it was, as with so much else, insufficient to the circumstances. The old order of things had firmly reasserted itself. Isn't it the sad reality of how so many people think about our world today? That anything good is just a distraction but in the end, that evil will always prevail. Like when there's a week with no news, we're like, yes, thank God. When there's a week where I don't have to come up here and give like a serious statement, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. But something in the back of our minds knows that, give it a couple weeks, give it a couple months, something bad's gonna happen. And that has become the prevailing mindset of of all of our hearts. But let me tell you it's in these moments when the church can embody a goodness that is sufficient to the circumstances a goodness that overcame the grave and one that is alive and well today let me close today with the lyrics of one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite artists sleeping at last and they have a song called emphasis and i love this verse it's a second verse and a chorus But this is what it says. Death is a cold blindfolded kiss. It's the finger pressed upon our lips. It puts an unwanted emphasis on how we should have lived. Life is a gorgeous broken gift. Six billion pieces waiting to be fixed. Love letters that were never signed, sent to where we live. But the sweetest thing I've ever heard is that I don't have to have the answers. Just a little light to call my own. Though it pales in comparison to the overarching shadows, a speck of light can reignite the sun and swallow darkness whole. I haven't lived that long of a life. I mean, to some of you, maybe I have. But I can tell you that there are only two truths that I realize that you can go to the bank with. That life sucks but God is good. I have no idea what's gonna happen tomorrow. I don't know what's gonna happen to my family in a week, a month, a year. I can tell you that life is hard, it's painful, but God is good. I know that the darkness for a lot of us can feel overwhelming, but I want to encourage us this morning. If we stand near to God and live in His goodness, that speck of light can swallow darkness whole. Let me pray for us. As we close, let me just give us a a brief moment to maybe think about some of the areas of our lives where we experience brokenness. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Um, Maybe it's just us and our hearts. I mean, I can guarantee that all of our lives are played with brokenness. And I want you to ask yourself, what are the ways that you have sought to find good, or be good, or do good? What are the ways that you have sought to find goodness apart from its source? That moment of stillness may we be reminded that God's goodness and unfailing love will pursue us all the days of our lives even when we pursue good apart from him God is good and he's pursuing us with his goodness let's just sit in that for a moment Lord, we acknowledge this morning that even with our best efforts, we're broken. We can never be the people you've called us to be. We're broken as parents, we're broken as spouses, we're broken as people, we're broken as friends, siblings, friends. We acknowledge that the world that we live in is full of brokenness everywhere we go. And sometimes it's very difficult for us to even see that speck of light, but I pray that this morning we would come back to the gospel, which is the assurance that in a moment when the world was dark, you stepped into this world and you promise to make all things new. And the same God who did not withhold his son is the same God who protects, provides, and preserves us today. It's that same goodness that pursues us all the days of our lives. So God, help us to stop seeking goodness and lesser alternatives. But this morning, more than anything, Help us to confess the prayer. It is good to be near God. It is good to be near you. We thank you for this word. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.